You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Today we are going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness. And that is a, a topic that should, if we think about it rightly, carry a lot of weight for us. Uh, and I believe it's something the Lord wants us to deal with and talk about as a body of Christ here in the city. Um, forgiveness is something that universally around the world, people would agree, is an important thing. Uh, no matter what culture you grew up in, where in the world you grew up in, uh, forgiveness is something that's held to uh, a high standard, that people believe forgiveness is a good thing. 94% of Americans who were polled by a Gallup poll a few years ago said forgiveness is absolutely something we should be doing. We should be living in forgiveness. Absolutely. 94, when's the last time 94% of anyone agreed on anything? Never. Forgiveness, 94%. Same poll, 85% of those people said, but I don't really do it. <laughs> I don't know how to do it, and it's really hard. And I think that's true for, for most of us. Uh, that, that we live in this paradigm that we understand forgiveness as something for myself and, and something for the other person. That is a basic human understanding of forgiveness that when I forgive, it's good for me. I get to release something. Um, I, it's a moral and good thing for me to do to forgive people. It's right. And, and there's also something in our human paradigm that says, yes, I should have compassion for people when they make mistakes. We would all agree with that, no matter where you grew up or what your background was or anything. But there's a limit to that, because in and of ourselves, we don't have enough grace and love to every time say, no matter what you do to me, I will, I will forgive you. There's a limit to that. And there's also a limit to our compassion. Uh, we, we mark forgiveness around uh, levels of pain. And when you reach outside of a certain level, well, that's my compassion now ends for you. <laughs> but see, there's this amazing thing that Miroslav Wolf, who's, who's a, a professor, theologian, talks about in his book, Free of Charge, the best book out there that I know of on forgiveness. And he says that that is a, a, a horizontal plane, that forgiveness of, for myself, forgiveness and compassion for the other person, and it's limited. But there's a vertical plane where God himself actually comes down, the only religion, the only philosophy, the only uh, uh, life culture, where God pursues us, we don't ascend to God, and God comes down in this vertical plane, and he absolutely shatters our paradigm for forgiveness. He just blows it completely apart. Praise God, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So why is it important to talk about in, in Christian community? If we're going to be a community of forgiveness, let's read about that. In Matthew chapter 18, I'm reading starting in verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. And it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? That sounds pretty generous. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began to settle, uh, began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you each unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's a, that's a tough word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, only by your grace and love can we even begin to understand forgiveness in the way that you command us, Lord. It is so far beyond us. So today, Lord, in our time together, Father, would you, would you minister to us, God? Would you open our eyes, open our ears, Father, to see your compassion your definition of forgiveness, Lord. And as you do that, God, would you soften our hearts, God. For those of us that have built up walls around our hearts, God, would you begin to break at those. Will we receive, God, your forgiveness so we might forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, listen, my, my title, my role here at Reality is the Community pastor, and it's been the joy of my life for the last four years to watch God do this amazing thing in our church and gather communities all over the city who would try to live and walk in the love of Christ together, and, and by far, this has been the most amazing, miraculous thing I've ever been a part of, I've ever watched happen. The way you guys love each other, the way you share your life together, the way you live out Christ's love in this city is, is remarkable. It's amazing. And yet, I know that we are four years into this thing, and we are in a place when you, you walk with people long enough where there are so many opportunities to hurt one another, to disappoint one another, to offend one another. Listen to what D.A. Carson has to say about the Christian community in particular. I'm not just talking about all of humanity. I'm talking about our community, why it's unique, um, 
as, as the gospel gathers us as a church people. Listen, this is what D.A. Carson says. He says, the reason there are so many exhortions in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of that sort, which bind most other groups together. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In this light, we are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's the only reason why John 13, 34 through 35, makes sense when Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this is so true for our church people in this church who grew up in the church are gathering, living life together with people who grew up hating the church. Techies are gathering with yoga instructors. Dog lovers are gathering with cat lovers. 49er fans are gathering with Seahawk fans. I'm just kidding. That's no. No. That would be ridiculous. No. And this is beautiful. It is beautiful. It is the kingdom of heaven on earth that we're experiencing together. But because of the unique gathering of people that we are as the church, there is a unique opportunity to offend, disappoint, and hurt one another. I want you to think about your community group for just a moment. Without the gospel, remove the gospel, would you really hang out with any of those people? Would you choose to hang out with those people? Maybe some of them. You say, well, I like my community group. Okay, maybe some of them. But would you hang out with that really annoying guy? And you know who I'm talking about. And the funny thing is, none of you think you're that guy. But some of you are. <laughs> Each of us probably wouldn't choose naturally the, the community group that we're in. We do this by neighborhood, not by life stage or anything else. But the gospel forces us in a beautiful way to throw wide the doors of the church and welcome in everyone to the family of God. That's, thank God, that's why I can be here and that's why you can be here. Praise God. So we have a uniquely high opportunity for conflict to arise in the Christian community. But beyond that, and perhaps more importantly, Scripture teaches us to value our relationships with one another on an extremely high level. There, there is no other people group who, who gathers together that is commanded to, to keep relational health at such a high level, at such a high expectation. To love one another as Christ has loved us, that's an extremely high bar to set. But forgiveness and reconciliation are at the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. To take the name of Christ on ourselves means that we have to live in forgiveness and reconciliation. 
That's the only way we can live out that commandment to love others as Christ loves us. So let's dive into the meaning and application of this parable. This is an incredible story that Jesus is telling to his disciples, and I want you to notice how it starts. It starts by Peter trying to uh, draw some boundary lines around forgiveness. He says, when someone offends me, how about seven times I forgive them? Is that fair? That's generous, isn't it? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven, or 77 times, depending on the translation. And, and I don't want you to get caught up in the numbers. I want you to know that, that number seven, it, it, it's a number of completion, of perfection that Jesus is talking about. So, so when he says not seven, but 70 times seven, or 77 times, he's saying it is infinite. This is an infinite grace, an infinite forgiveness that we are talking about. Loving each other as Christ loved us, requires we have no limits of forgiveness. We must understand that. Then Jesus shifts the focus of the conversation to get the disciples' attention and tell the story of an unforgiving servant, which should rattle us as much as it rattled them. Let's look at the parable. As we do, I want to unpack three ideas here. The first is that forgiveness is costly. It is not cheap. It is not flippant. Forgiveness is costly. Secondly, forgiveness is relational. At the heart of forgiveness is relationship and the desire for reconciliation. And thirdly, forgiveness is required. If we are calling ourselves Christians and take that name upon ourselves, then forgiveness is not optional. It is required. So first, let's look at the cost of forgiveness. In the beginning of the parable, the king is taking stock of his kingdom, and he realizes something is majorly out of order. The king has a servant who owes him 10,000 bags of gold, or in the New King James translation, 10,000 talents. What does that mean? Let's get into the numbers of this for a second. 10,000 talents. One talent was the equivalent of 20 years worth of a day laborer's wages. 20 years of wages in one talent. So let's make it today's numbers. The average San Francisco salary, don't quote me on this, it's just estimation, uh, is around $82,000 a year. Average San Francisco salary. Multiply that by 20 years, it's $1.64 million, one talent. Now multiply that by 10,000 talents, we're talking billions of dollars. The GDP of like a small nation is what we're talking about. It's insane. Now compare that with the other servant who had a debt of 100 denarii, One denarii was one daily wage of a day laborer. So again, if we take the average San Francisco salary, $82,000, divided by 365 days, including vacations, uh, $225 per day, one denarii. 100 denarii, roughly $20,000, $22,000. Why is this important? Why, why are these sums important? Why does God choose, why does Christ choose those numbers? Because Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is a costly business. It is not cheap. 
and we shouldn't treat it that way. Much of scripture uses the parable of monetary transactions, debts, and the forgiveness of debts to explain how forgiveness works. Here in this parable, we see an enormous, enormous debt by any standard owed by the servant to the king. Billions of dollars. So when the, when the king first says that all of the servant's assets and his family members and his children should be sold, what is the king doing? He is trying to recoup the loss that he's incurred from the servant. But when the servant throws himself at the feet of the king, something remarkable happens. The king has compassion for the servant, and he forgives that debt, $16 billion forgiven. Now, what actually happened in this transaction when the king forgave $16 billion? Did he... Did, did the lost property and the income and assets, did they all just, no. The king absorbed the loss to his kingdom. At the threat and at the peril of his good kingdom, the king took the debt off of the servant and put it on himself. And this is the way all of forgiveness works. Forgiveness is costly to us. As Christians, we must understand that at the heart of every offense, of every hurt, is the devaluing of something or someone. It may be your reputation. It may be your relationship with that person. It may be an actual physical impairment. When we hurt each other emotionally, Relationally, physically, we extract something from the other person. The wrongdoer has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. Think of the last time you were hurt or you were wronged. Someone spoke ill of you or tricked you or physically hurt you. There's a very real sense inside of us that you are owed something. When my girls were little, about this high, they had this really funny thing they thought they would do, which they would run up and they would punch. <laughs> and they wouldn't just do it to me. Many of you experienced this. They would run into church and you'd be like, oh, Reagan, hi. Boom. <laughs> and they're, they're cute and they're like little and everything, but there's a sense of like, that's wrong. You owe me something, an apology at least, something. You, you ex something is extracted and the wrongdoer has a debt that they incur. There's a very real sense that things need to be made right. And you can feel like you're entitled to compensation or restitution. And at the best of us, inside our heart, and at our very best, we want things to be made even, an eye for an eye. Just make it as it was. But at the worst of us in our heart, we want revenge. We want that person to suffer for what they've done. We want to inflict on them greater pain 
than what we experienced. And look at the first thing the king says. He has the same reaction. You owe me what, servant? Are you crazy? Well, it looks like I will have to sell your wife and children. But then the king is moved, moved with compassion, and he forgives the debt at an enormous cost to himself. So when we say that forgiveness is costly, this is what we mean, that by forgiving the offender, the wrongdoer, you are saying, I forgive that debt you owe me, and I will take it on myself. Again, my kids, when they're little, uh, and we go over to people's houses, almost automatically something gets broken. Uh, furniture, uh, paintings, uh, plates, cups, whatever. Something is going to break if my family comes to your house. That's why none of you have invited us over. Thank you. <laughs> something is going to get broken. And, and what ha- this would always happen in like a cup gets smashed. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let me pay for it. And almost all of the time, Someone says, no, 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 it's an accident, it's okay. And what happens in that moment is they're saying, the cost of what you've broken, that lamp that was broken, I will take that on myself. I will either go without light or, <laughs> or I'll pay for a new lamp, but you don't have to do that. Either way, someone incurs the damage. Either I pay for it or this person suffers and they pay for it but someone has to pay for it. It's the way forgiveness works. So when someone hurts you, there are only two options. You make them suffer, or you refuse revenge, and then you suffer. These are only the, the only two options. And if we can't forgive each other, listen to this, if we, you and I, can't forgive each other, Without suffering in some way, how much more, how much more must God suffer for us? Forgiveness is costly. It is not cheap. It is not flippant. But secondly, forgiveness is relational. It's about relationships. The king not only knew his servant as a business partner, but had to have some kind of relationship with him. He knew he had a wife. He knew he had kids. He knew this man is more than just a business partner. And as we look at the transaction between the king and the servant, it took, uh, in the course of their discussion, at one point they were talking about numbers, and then it gets very cold between them. This is just business. But then the servant becomes vulnerable. And afraid, and and he opens himself up. He begs for patience from the king. And the parable says that the king had compassion for the servant. The servant was not no longer just a means to an end. He was no longer just a business partner. He was wasn't just defined by the benefit or the cost to the king, or even how bad a mess he'd made of things. He was a person. He was a man. He was a father. He was a husband. Do you know that throughout Scripture, if you comb through all of this book, the number one emotion that is connected to God is not anger, is not wrath. It is compassion. 
you read through the New Testament and the Gospels in particular, what you'll find is that Christ is connected with compassion and pity more than any other emotion in all of Scripture. Throughout it, it says he was filled with compassion for them. He took pity on them. His heart went out to them. This means that when God forgives, he forgives from the heart. It is not this cheap grace. It's cheap forgiveness. Out of love and care for those Jesus came in contact with, he forgave and he forgives. It is a restoring of relationship, right relationship. So what does it mean to forgive from the heart? Jesus was very serious about this point. Just look at the end of the parable. Jesus says, this is how my father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. And that starts for us, you guys. It starts with the condition of our heart toward God. Matthew 6, 15, Jesus says, If you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. This is a very scary prospect. It should shake us up a bit. If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. And this might tempt us, actually, to think that God's love and forgiveness is conditional somehow. If I do this, if I forgive enough people, then God is obligated to forgive me. And that's simply not the way it works and is not what this scripture is saying. If you believe that about God, that his forgiveness for you is conditional on your forgiveness, then you have a misunderstanding of who God is. What this means, I want to quote from Tim Keller here, this does not mean that we can earn God's forgiveness through our own forgiving, but that we can disqualify ourselves from it. We can't earn it, but we can be disqualified from it. No heart that is truly repentant toward God could be unforgiving toward others. Ouch. No heart that is truly repentant toward God could be unforgiving toward others. A lack of forgiveness towards others is the direct result of a lack of repentance toward God. And as we know, you must repent in order to be saved. So let's break this down. God's forgiveness cannot be earned. Do you understand this? This is the seminal idea in all of scripture that God knew from the foundations of everything he created that we would make a mess of things. Every broken relationship, every lie you told, every way you've deceived people you loved, God knew that from the very, very beginning. And so he created a rescue plan. And Christ comes, fully God, fully man, And he comes and he begins to reverse the work of everything we have made a mess of. The sick are now well. The the hopeless are filled with hope. All of it begins to reverse in the life of Christ, the kingdom of heaven entering in. And on the cross, when Christ goes to the cross, God's love and God's justice meet. And every punishment that we deserved was poured out. On him. And every reward, every love offering that he deserved was poured out on us. 
Do we get, do you guys hear this? This changes everything. Do you know that Christ on the cross, broken, bleeding, dying, did not look down on us and say, my goodness, what good things they do. My goodness, they, do you know how much money they donated to old school this year? Oh, do you know how many hours they volunteered? I guess I owe it to them to stay up here. I guess that's my obligation. No, he didn't say that. Christ on the cross looked down at us on your very worst day. When you have done the most wicked thing you can remember doing. When you have hurt the person you love the most. And he said, I will stay. I will stay. And I will make them beautiful. And I will remove every smudge from them and make them like a bride on her wedding day, perfect, white, without spot or wrinkle. And that is the way I will see them. Do you understand that? The weight of that. Forgiveness is not cheap. And in that, Christ sets the tone for forgiveness. And he prays this unbelievable, remarkable prayer right before he dies on the cross. He says, Father, and he looks down and he's getting spit on and mocked. He says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. This is the bar that's set for us, you guys. It's remarkable. God, forgive them. They don't don't even know what they're doing. And this is the gospel. The tomb could not hold Jesus' body. He breaks through, and when he breaks through and rises again three days later, everything is made new. It's a new game. The rules have changed. It's a new game. This is the gospel, you guys. We don't earn God's forgiveness. It is a gift. We are given it as a gift, free of charge. Thank you, Jesus. Why is this so important? Because, listen, if you're tracking with me through this story, and you say, yes, okay, God comes down. Jesus comes down. um, Fully God, fully man. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, he lived this perfect life without sin. Yes, I believe that. Yeah, and he went to the cross, and he died. Yes, I believe that. And he raised from the, from the dead the third day. Yes, I believe that. And he did it because I'm a hot mess. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Did, did it really have to cost that much? Am I that bad? Did I really make a big... My life's pretty good. I'm a pretty good person, Dave. You don't really know me. Okay, I want to challenge you with something. If you're feeling that way, then we have probably reached the root of why you have such a hard time forgiving other people. If you believe that what Jesus did was cheap and maybe unnecessary, then no wonder you would have a hard time forgiving people when they hurt you. If you feel like you didn't need that much forgiveness. Because you think it was easy for God to forgive. And so you hold people to a different standard, and they become not humans, but they become the object of what they've done to you. You know, you've done this. Oh, Jim, he's just, he's a liar. I know he has a job, but he's actually just a liar. Oh, that person, yeah, they're they're a cheater. 
That's just who they are. And when we do this, we begin to objectify people by their sin against us. Here's what we do. Miroslav Wolf says this, that we move the offender, that person who's hurt you, we move them out of the camp of all humanity who've ever done anything wrong, and then we move ourselves out of the camp of all sinners. We put ourselves in different camps. Oh, those, that guy, those people, they did that. They're not like me. To remain unforgiving means you are unaware of your own sinfulness. This is not a popular teaching. It will probably not get uh, many watches this week uh, on podcasts and things. That's okay. Listen, this is, I believe, what God wants us to hear. To remain unforgiving means you are unaware of your own sinfulness and need forgiveness. So when Paul says in 1 Timothy, I am the chief among sinners. I am the worst among sinners. He's not exaggerating. He's just admitting in humility, I am capable of as bad and terrible a sin as anybody. The gospel has equipped him and should equip us with humility. So brother, sister, I I tell you this in love. If you find it hard to forgive certain people in your life, you need to start with repentance. You need to understand the weight of your own sin and brokenness. Remember the great cost God incurred on your behalf. You're taking God's gift too lightly. You're taking it for granted. So to live in a community of forgiveness, what we are striving to do means we must walk humbly with one another and most importantly with the Lord. That's why the parable turns south for the wicked servant, right? He's been forgiven an enormous debt. And he should be like Fred Astaire. He should be like floating on the air, like just dancing and singing, filled with like joy and things. And the first thing he does is he walks out of the king's palace and he grabs a guy by the throat. Demanding repayment. And this reveals the condition of his heart. The reaction of the first servant, it would be almost comical if it wasn't so disturbing when he grabs that other servant by the throat, unprovoked, and just begins berating him. And when the second servant asks for for patience in repaying the debt, the wicked servant, he refuses. He has no grace, no mercy, throws him in prison. And what has happened here is, is the man's heart is revealed. There is no repentance. He was forgiven a debt, but he had not any repentance in his heart. The plea before the king was only an act to try and save himself. So how was this revealed in him? It was revealed through the way he lived in relationship with his other servant. While the king had been moved with compassion for him, he was not moved to compassion with those he walked with. Guys, this is such a huge warning for us. Forgiven an enormous debt and had zero mercy for those around him. There was no repentance in his heart. Repentance is a key to forgiveness. Finally, forgiveness is required of us. 
As we said before, Jesus was absolutely serious about forgiveness. Remember his statement at the end of the parable. This is how my father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. To live this out in community of Christ requires a commitment to forgiveness. Listen to that, a commitment to forgiveness. When I married Noel, and we stood at the altar before God and all the people we loved, we made a commitment to many things. We made a commitment, I made a commitment to love her regardless of feelings, whether I felt love for her or not. I re- committed to love her, to care for her regardless of our circumstances. I made a commitment to forgive her no matter the offense. And there have been so many between us in ways we've hurt each other over the last 14 years. Without that commitment, I don't know where we would be. So this remarkable thing happens when you commit to forgiveness. Noel and I forgive each other, not subjectively, but objectively. It is not subjective, our forgiveness, based on the level of pain, the amount of times it happens. It doesn't have any boundaries. It's rooted in the object of forgiveness, which is Christ. It has to, it's the only way we do this. It's the only way we live out a commitment of forgiveness is doing it objectively in a commitment, not subjectively with one another. I have no idea where I am in my notes right now. <laughs> okay. Because we have received Christ's forgiveness. Noel and I can look at each other and say, I forgive you not because of what you do, but because of what's been done for me. That's the object of it. You see, you must forgive or you must be bitter. Those are your two choices. You must forgive or you must be bitter. You can't be both. You can't forgivingly live with someone in bitterness. That's not possible. You can't forgive someone with a bitter heart. It's not real. You can be bitter or you can be forgiving, but you can't be both. And if, in light of what Christ has done, you call yourself a follower of Christ, then the second one is not an option. It's not an option. You must forgive. Forgiveness is required of us. All right, my last point. Oh, I take that back. Almost my last point. Um, that's the worst thing to do to people. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, practically, practically, how do we forgive? Okay, I'll, I'll be quick. Practically, how do we forgive? Matthew 5, 23 says that we are to forgive quickly. This is counterintuitive. We are to forgive quickly. If you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, first go and reconcile to them, then come back and offer your gift. This seems totally counterintuitive to us. What Jesus is saying is that let forgiveness drive your emotions rather than emotions drive your forgiveness. How many of us say, I'm just not ready? I'm telling you something, you're probably never gonna be ready. You won't ever feel If you have a deep wound, 
you probably won't ever feel like forgiving anyone, much less that offender. Let forgiveness drive your emotions, not emotions drive your forgiveness. This is obedience. This is an obedience issue. Forgive quickly. Don't let it fester. Secondly, forgive regardless of fault. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 that we just read, it says if you realize you hurt someone, go and make it right. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, say that if you realized that someone has sinned against you, you go seek them out in love and you make it right. This is about restoration. You confront them, they listen, and if they receive it, you've won them back. Notice something in both of these verses. Either way it goes, you're on the hook. <laughs> it's up to you to take the initiative. If you sense there's a divide in a relationship, and I, this is where I want you to really start thinking about your own life right now. If you sense there's a divide in any relationship, pray through it. Ask God to reveal the root of the division. Be humble with yourself first. Say, where may I have gone wrong? And then take the initiative, regardless of fault, you guys. Regardless of fault, take the initiative. And when you go, don't pour out your case of everything they had done wrong on them. Go in love, in gentleness, in kindness. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not his wrath. Any resistance to forgive, once the divide is known, indicates a wrong heart. There's a wrong condition of our heart. Regardless of fault, you take the initiative. And finally, forgive wholeheartedly. Matthew 18, 35, that we've read a couple times now. To forgive wholeheartedly means to walk through the hurt with God and to seek the restoration. This is not flippant forgiveness like my kids do with each other. Like they pull hair, sorry. <laughs> what happened? Well, I mean, I don't know, sorry. I'm sorry if that hurt you. Oh, I'm, your feelings are, oh, I'm sorry if your feelings are hurt. Like what that's saying is like, I take this and deflect it on back to you. Like there is, it's just flippant, it's cheap. It devalues the weight and the offense of the offense. Forgiving from the heart is a deep inner working that depends on the, depending on the level of offense, to reconcile can take a really long time. And we need to understand reconciling and forgiveness are different things. We are called to forgive quickly. Reconciliation may take years. It may take a really long time. But we are to offer forgiveness wholeheartedly. Okay, and this is where I'll close. I want to just touch on justice for a moment. You've heard it said that we are to forgive and forget. Is that right? Is that a right way of thinking? Where's the justice in that? Where's the consequence? What if you are in, abuse, in an abusive relationship? Should you forgive the person and allow them to continue this abusive relationship behavior? What if your child gets caught stealing and you offer them forgiveness, are they off the hook without consequence? What if you fear, listen to me, what if you fear that to forgive this other person 
would mean all of your hurt and feelings get dismissed. That you never get validated. That it never gets dealt with. I tell you that the notion forgive and forget is found nowhere in Scripture. It has a flippant and reckless cheapening of the forgiving process. God doesn't deal with sin that way. He calls it out for what it is. He condemns it, and at the same time, he forgives it, and he has already paid for it. What does this practically mean? It means that most of the time, forgiveness does not remove consequence, but it does remove vengeance. You see the difference? Forgiveness does not usually remove consequence, but it does remove vengeance. So for the woman who's in an abusive relationship, there is a responsibility to forgive and release revenge and then call the police and have him arrested. Not in malice, but in for restoration, that this behavior will stop. If your child is caught stealing, they need to be embraced in love and forgiveness, and I need to grow in this as a parent. I come quick with justice, and I am slow with love and gentleness. You need to meet them first with kindness, forgiveness, compassion, and then they face their consequence, whatever it may be, not for vengeance, not in anger. Oh, you're going to learn a lesson. No, you're going to learn a lesson for the benefit of your heart. This must stop. And listen, if you're afraid of your hurts and your feelings being dismissed if you forgive, then I'd want to just remind you who holds your heart. It is not your friend. It is not your family. It is not your father. It is Christ. Christ holds your heart, and he will tend to your sorrow. In obedience, you must hand that offense over to God. My friend calls it this. You're taking that right for revenge. You're taking it off of your hook, and you're putting it on God's hook. And you allow him, who is the only one, just and right and good to deal with it. Let's pray. God, I know this is a, uh, not an easy thing to hear for us. God, I know there are deep wounds in this room, God, that have been gone unforgiven for a very long time. God, I know that there is even a resistance in us to receive your forgiveness because we don't feel, we don't feel worthy, Lord God, of it. Or maybe we don't feel we need it. So just in this moment, Father, Jesus, we, we just open our hearts to you, God. And church, I pray you would do this with me right now, that you would just quietly before the Lord ask him, Lord, what 
in my life do I need to forgive? Who in my life do I need to forgive? Who do I need to ask forgiveness of? Speak to us, Lord. God has revealed to you a person, a circumstance that requires forgiveness. I want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, by your grace and your great love, God, seeing our wickedness, Lord, you are not content to watch us die. pursued us, Lord. You ran after us. You were the Father waiting on the porch, watching on the horizon for us, Lord, just to to turn home. And when we did, you ran to meet us. You brought us into full acceptance. God, I pray for every brother and sister in this place, Father, that needs to know that that they are fully accepted by you. Would they hear that clearly? You are accepted by Jesus. God, I pray that would drive us to confess to you every place we need you, God, where we have hurt you and hurt one another. As we do, Lord, would, would we be so generous with forgiveness? Anything you have brought to mind, Lord God, would you give us the courage to go with you and seek reconciliation, Lord? By your grace, Lord, would you continue to make us a community that does this together for your glory. In Jesus' name.